Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. I'm Mr. Brightside. And I am not. <laughs> Why? What's up? No, I'm, I'm fine, really. I just, I don't feel like I'm Mr. Brightside. Neither am I human, nor am I dancer. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Album Clash. Uh, we are continuing our Britpop season and starting a new Clash today. So it was my choice, and the albums we're going to be going through this week and next week are... Well, today I'm going to take us through Happy Monday's 1990 album, Pills and Thrills and Bellyaches. And uh, Kev, what are you going to be going through next week? So I will be taking us through Primal Scream's 1991 seminal effort, uh, Screamadelica. Boom. Yeah. So, I mean, as I said, it sort of stretches the definition of Britpop pretty much to its extremes, but it's British and it's pop music. So there you go. Well, and the thing the thing is, and I'm sure we will cover this during our Britpop season, is that some of the bands who are classified under the Britpop banner, I wouldn't have thought of them as Britpop, to be honest. Indeed. As you said, we'll get on to that. So before we do some Can't Get You Out of My Head, I just want to go through some of the connections between these two albums, because it wasn't just a random pick. There are quite a lot of things that that connect these two albums. I mean... The obvious one is they are both definitive of the early 90s indie acid house scene. Both of the albums sort of blended together the band's previous sound with the, as I said, the acid house dance music scene to to create something new. Both were produced by legendary dance acts, legendary DJs, and... Both acts would later release the last ever album on their respective legendary independent record labels. Although, as we'll come on to later today, in one case, that was with quite disastrous (laughs) consequences. I think what we could also say is a link between the two albums. There was some chemical inducement uh, during the recording process, shall we say? Yeah, indeed. Very much so. Yeah, and as we both said at the end of last week, this is one I think we're both excited to get into. Yeah, very much so. Cool. All right. But before we do get into it, let's do some can't get you out of my head. Kev, you didn't have any shite in your head last week. Do you have any shite in your head this week? I definitely do. Oh, dear. (laughs) So in the UK at the minute, there is an advertising campaign for a large travel website that has the actress Naomi Harris singing in it. And she is singing all by myself. And I can't lie that that song has been absolutely lodged in my head. And it's it's just that little, like, because because of the advert, it's just that little refrain the, uh, from the chorus. And it, it has properly earwormed its way into my head. You've gone full Bridget Jones. Yes. <laughs> oh dear, you never go full Bridget Jones. Wearing me giant pants tonight. Sexy. That's gone in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> okay it seems a shite for me oh, bit of a cheat this this hasn't been stuck in my head although i'm sure it will be now tomorrow but we're in brit prop season 
And I just wanted to remind everyone that not everything that came out of the Britpop scene was good, was was seminal. In fact, there was an awful lot of shite that came out of it too. In particular, Wake Up Boo by the Boo Radleys. I fucking hate that song. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, so it's a long time since I've heard that song. I So I would be intrigued how I felt about it now. At the, at the time, I think when it first came out, it seemed not fresh but it's it it was very much of that sort of 96 summer but yeah it, it, it was so prevalent everywhere that... it was very ubiquitous i mean i didn't like it at any point really but it definitely became ubiquitous and prevalent everywhere as you said which certainly influenced my extreme dislike of it so much so i've said before i listen to absolute radio 90s a lot whenever that comes on flick straight away can't listen to it I hate it that much. So are you suggesting it's the 90s version of Californication? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hate that song. What have you done? Although Californication (laughs) was released in 99, so the 90s version of Californication is Is Californication. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it dominated 2000. Oh, anyway, let's just move on, because that is something absolute shite. (laughs) Although I've now now got my pick for... um, my next choice on Video Kill the Radio Star. <laughs> uh, go on, what good stuff do you want to give a shout to? So the main one that I'm going going to point out is a song by uh, a band called Magic Roundabout. Uh, it's called She's a Waterfall. <laughs> She'll carry on with it all. <laughs> uh, released on Third Man Records. As you know, I'm a fan of Jack White's label. I'm at least you got the name right this time. Yeah, rather than Third Reich Records. <laughs> Oh, you've done it again. Well done. <laughs> um, and they, they're also um, going to open a shop in London, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that was announced this week. Anyway, this this song, really dreamy. It's It's got really strong Velvet Underground vibes to Ooh. it. And the singer's, singer's voice very much brought Nico to mind. So nice. these are all... These are all good things. Very, very good things. Velvet Underground, Nico, Dreamy, Third Man. Yep. Okay. I'm sold. Yeah. The other, the other thing I just want to because I don't want to bring up McCartney loads, but his like I did listen to his single that uh, he's got with Beck, and I haven't actually written down the name of it. It's really interesting. I had no idea that McCartney had done a song with Beck. I am very intrigued. I would I would strongly urge you to check it out. It's interesting, and as I've said before, McCartney has done some really different different work. You kind of get um, sidetracked by the wing stuff, really, and Mulligan Tire. Not even the wings, exactly. It's yeah, the Frog Chorus. All all that stuff kind of makes you forget that McCartney was a was an innovator, and this song is really interesting. And whilst you're um, talking, I will try and okay, find the name. Get the name. So mine, mine is both old and new. It dropped yesterday, but it's a remix of an old tune and it links in to Britpop season. So the Go team have released a remix of the charlatans telling stories. Ooh. Yeah, well, it's exactly what you'd expect to hear from a mashup between the charlatans and the Go team. If you like the charlatans and the Go team, you'll really like it. And I do like them both. It's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm already, already wanting to hear that. Yeah, so, so the, Go, the Go team released a new album early this year as well, and I forget the name of it, but it's a good album. And again, it's it's nothing particularly groundbreaking for them, but if you like what they do, it's a really good album. I have heard bits and bobs of it, and I do. Yes, I'm I'm a fan of fan of the Go team, and 
we've we've expressed our love for Tim Burgess's finest. Um, we have. So you know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be all over that. Okay. So yeah, the McCartney song uh, with Beck is called "Find My Way." Um, it was released three weeks ago. Video is quite interesting as well because um, they've done it, and McCartney looks like his younger self as well. Oh, okay, very good. I'll check that out. Yeah, it's good. Good. All right, that is what we cannot get out of our head. As usual, we'll tweet the links, so uh, check them out. Grand. Okay, should we do some top trumps? I think we should, yes. So we are going to pit pills, thrills, and belly aches up against Screamadelica in our Battle of the Facts in our top trumps round. So I got absolutely mauled last time out when we went Blur versus Oasis. I think we might be a bit closer this week, but I'm, I can't say as I'm overly confident with Pills Thrills. But let's go at it. And, and as the reigning champion, you get first pick. Okay. I'm quite confident on, on my opener. So I'm going to go sales. Mm, yeah. Go on. Three million. <sighs> yeah, you've won. Uh, I, I struggle to find exact sales figures for Pills and Thrills and Billy Aches. It's sold over 500,000, but it's not sold 3 million copies. So you've definitely won that one. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with awards. Okay. I know you've got a big one. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So won the best album for the NME in 91 and also won the inaugural Mercury music prize. Beating Actum baby. Yeah. Which at the, at the time was, was the massive shock. Really. Yeah, it was, it was. Uh, okay. Sorry. You've lost. Oh, and I'm going to, so the Mercury music prize didn't exist in 1990, So I can't possibly have won it. So I won two enemy awards, including best album and best band in 1990. But the reason I've won the happy Mondays were awarded the best indie group at the 1990 Smash Hits Poll Winners Party. <laughs> and so that's technical knockout, I'm afraid, mate. I'm having that one. Did the Mondays attend the Smash Hits Poll Winners Party to pick up their award? I've no idea. I mean, I remember that being on... I remember it was on telly, like, mm-hmm. just before Christmas. Yep. And there was lots of just screaming girls. I can't... Wow. Well, there you go. So for, for anyone that wasn't a, a child in late 80s, early 90s, England, Smash Hits was a, uh, a a music magazine very much targeted at, let's say, the younger audience. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was big, like Smash Hits. It was big. And and so big, in fact, that that's why I've won this category. Because the Mondays <laughs> won an award. So three awards to two I've won anyway, but also Smash Hits poll winners. Sorry, mate, you, you didn't stand a chance there. No. Okay, uh, let's do charts. Okay. All right, UK for Pills, Thrills and Belly Aches. Number four. Number eight. Okay, so I'm in the lead. US, higher than I thought it was going to be. 89. 31. Mm. So what are we saying there? We're calling that one a draw? I think that's a draw, really. Yeah, fine, okay. So we're still at one all. Uh... Should we go certifications? Because I know I'm going to win that one. <laughs> oh, go on then. Okay. No, you're so confident. I'll let you go first. Okay. Went platinum. In which country? In the UK. So did Pills, Thrills and Billy X. Fuck you, you arrogant prick. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another draw. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go critic scores. Ooh. All music, five out of five. Enemy. 
Nine out of ten. Rolling Stone. This is where I struggle. Three and a half out of five. Okay. So all music, five out of five. Mm-hmm. NME, ten out of ten. Oh, fucking hell. E, go on. Rolling Stone, three out of five. What? <laughs> three out of five. Dear yep. God. Incredible. Was Nobby McGee working there at the time? <laughs> Probably. Let's say he was. Yeah. Oh, wow. Incredible. Okay. So is that another draw then? It is, yeah. All right. So all we have to go is rankings. Uptown top rankings. <laughs> so in 2000, Q Magazine voted Pills, Thrills and Bullyaches number 31 in its list of best British albums. And in 2005, viewers of Channel 4 voted it as the 51st greatest album of all time. I couldn't find it anywhere on any Rolling Stone list, which I fear may hurt me. So, Screamadelica did make the Rolling Stones 2020 top 500 albums of all time. Okay. Made number 437. That's low. It is. Mind you, they give it three out of five, so do they know? Q Magazine, so the the one that we can actually compare compare them to. Number 18. Ah, oh, shit. All right. Well, Screamadelica's won that. I mean, that's, do you know what? It's a hell of a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. Like, it's much tighter than, you, than you'd expect. Yeah, it is. But I've lost again. So I'm 3-1 down. And, um, well, I need to rethink my strategy here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, you know what? I'm just going to start doing the, the, the later album because that seems to win most of the time. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is an unfair advantage. So what's clearly happened there is Pearl's Throws of Belegs has, has blazed the trail and then Screamadelic has capitalised on that, much like Sergeant Peppers and, and Pet Sounds the other week. So uh, morally, I'm claiming the victory there. <laughs> you may try and claim the moral victory, but the actual <laughs> victory was mine. <laughs> All right, fuck off. <laughs> okay, any other orders of business before I start taking us through the background? No, I think let's uh, let's go through the album. All right, okay. So Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches was the third studio album by the Happy Mondays. It was released on the 17th of November 1990 on the legendary indie label Factory Records. It was recorded uh, well, two studios, firstly at Eden Studios in London, and then also at Capitol Studios in LA throughout 1989. Uh, as I alluded to when I did the connections, it was produced by Paul Oakenfold and Steve Osborne, who would go on to basically define the club scene in the late 90s, really, and, and were already making quite the name for themselves at the time they produced this album. Um, so they were, they were bought on board, because Oakenfold had remixed some of the earlier Monday's tracks, so so uh, wrote for Luck from their previous album Bummed, and also quite famously the club mix of Hallelujah, which was on the Manchester Rave On EP, and those both became huge breakout successes uh, in the what was the burgeoning acid house scene at the time. So seeing that, uh, and obviously with the connection between, so for those that don't know. The Hacienda Club was run by Tony Wilson, who was the head of Factory Records, and Peter Hook from New Order. So with those hits being played in the Hacienda, they really saw the opportunity to capitalise. And uh, yeah, 
uh, as we'll go on to talk about, without giving too many spoilers away, an inspired choice to bring Osborne and uh, Oakenfold on board, really. Yeah, with, without question. The Everyone talks about the Manchester scene and, and, and that kind of thing around the, around this time, but that fusion of the burgeoning rave culture and indie transformed British music, really. Hugely. So firstly, a couple of things on that. So the term Manchester was coined from the Monday's Manchester Rave On EP in 1989. And the what you said about transforming British culture. So Oakenfold and a few others, including Danny Rampling and, and other people who would go on to become superstar DJs, in, in the, sometime in the mid-80s, they'd basically gone on a lad's holiday to Ibiza before Ibiza was a thing. And they'd been to a, a club night in Ibiza and seen sort of what was going on there and all the sort of Chicago house music being brought over and, and what, the, what the scene was really just starting to bubble, bubble in the underground over in Ibiza. And they basically decided, we need to do this. We need to bring this back to the, to the UK. We want to create this on our shores. And, um, you know, from four guys on a lad's holiday, they literally did change the future of the music industry in this country. Yeah, without without question, the without that, you don't have the Chemical Brothers, you don't have Fat Boy Slim, you don't have so much that's that's developed out of it, like the the concept of the superstar DJ. Yeah, and of course, of course, this all sort of coincides with the so called second summer of love, where um, obviously ecstasy became much much more widely available in the country, and people go into raves. All this, all this youth culture sort of coalesces and develops over, over this period of time. Yeah, absolutely, and that is very much something that we're going to keep touching on today, including when we go through the, the legacy part of the album. So hold on to that thought. So Happy Mondays consisted of uh, frontman Sean Ryder, uh, his brother, the bassist Paul Ryder, the guitarist Mark Day, drummer Gary Whelan keyboardist Paul Davis, and of course, how could we forget the legendary vibe man, Mark Bez Berry. <laughs> Someone who has who has made a career out of being their mate who got off his tits and just danced <laughs> along with their tunes. Fair play to him. And he had maracas, Kev. Never forget oh, yes, the maracas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, sound, the sound was key. Uh, <laughs> the maraca sound. Uh, so, as I said, it was their third album. The first two albums, I'm not going to read the title of the first one in full. 1987's Squirrel and G-Man, 24-Hour Party People, Plastic Face Can't Smile, open parentheses, white out, close parentheses. Doesn't really trip off the no. tongue very easily. I, I can't imagine why it wasn't a massive success. Although 24-Hour Party People is a tune. It is a tune, uh, and it was it was used for the film of the same name, depicting Indeed. the history of Factory Records. Um, so that and the, the follow-up in 1988, Bummed, they had some uh, sort of success within the indie circuit, but the explosion of what was to come started with the Manchester Rave on EP. So that was released in November 1989 and reached number nine in the UK chart. And what cemented the burgeoning of this scene was in November 1989, the Mondays appeared on Top of the Pops. They played Hallelujah with Kirsty McColl as a, a as a guest performer. 
And on the same show, probably a lot of people will be familiar with this, the Stone Roses also were on it to, to, to perform Fool's Gold. And that was that was very much seen as the arrival. You know, we're here. This is now not indie. This is now not a local underground scene. This is now, we're on top of the pops. We've talked about top of the pops when we went through Blur and Oasis. So it was, yeah, the, the Manchester scene had arrived in the mainstream. Yeah, like uh, there's so many seminal moments in sort of British pop history which are linked around Top of the Pops and appearances on there. So obviously there's the the famous Bowie Starman. But yeah, certainly like people point to that Top of the Pops episode because obviously Phil's Gold as well mm-hmm. is, you know, it's got that dance that dance rhythm to it. Yep. It, it is linked. It, it's part of this lineage of the crossover between indie and, and dance at this time. Exactly that. And as I said, so to capitalise on that, Anthony Wilson brought Steve Osborne and Paul Oakenfold on board to start work on Pills, Thrills and Bellyaches. So just one other thing on the background of the album is that it was the first album where Oweta Idar had joined the group as a backing vocalist. And that addition, as we'll go on to talk about, really, to me, had a huge impact in the sound. It gave a lot more depth to a lot of the songs. And she became part of the band from that point it wasn't just a here's a session backing vocalist she became part of the band yeah um and we'll we'll definitely get into it because rowetta is such a key a key element to this album yeah she is so just a, a quote from her from an interview with the guardian in 2014 she said when i first saw the mondays on tv i thought they were amazing then i realized bez had chatted me up the week before the manager of the band i was singing in had an office next to the one the mondays used so I popped in and told their manager I wanted to sing with them. He came to see me performing at Legends in Manchester. I had a bottle of whiskey in my handbag and was wearing a little fur coat and nothing else. Two weeks later, I was in the band. <laughs> Great. Uh, one more fun fact for our listeners. Rowetta in 2004 finished fourth in the first ever series of The X Factor. What? Yeah, I know. That was exactly my reaction. What? Yeah, Rowetta. Rowetta was on the X Factor. And she did very well, but didn't win. That's fucking mad. <laughs> it is mad. Well, there you go. Okay. Yeah, indeed. So so that's that's about it for the background. Pretty pretty brief, but um, you know, some important stuff we've covered in a fairly short space of time there. Yeah, definitely. Should we talk about the artwork? Yeah, because it is a, it is an interesting cover. Well, it was an interesting cover. Yeah. And that's the problem with it. So the artwork designed by Central Station Design, who did a lot of work with Factory, and the original release was sort of a psychedelic collage made from old sweet wrappers, candy wrappers, if you're in the States. So that included Refreshers, delicious, Milky Way, nice, Fruit Polos, disgusting, and Chupa Chups, eh, I like a chupa chup. Chupa chup, they're okay. I mean, can we agree on fruit polos? Yeah, fruit polos are shit. Chupa chups are enjoyable, just to say. Yes, and they sponsored Sheffield Wednesday. Indeed. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was the first release of the album, and it is a great cover. Really interesting, really visually striking. Subsequent releases of the album had, while still in the original theme, a much plainer image because a lot of the manufacturers of those brands had raised objections 
I can't think why they wouldn't want themselves associated <laughs> with the Mondays. And an album called Pills, Thrills and Belly Aches. Yeah. But still, boo to them. Because, like, so I've got a, a recent vinyl release and the cover art's just had the balls ripped off it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's just me. No, the, orig- the original is is great. And, yeah, it it doesn't work as well, the, the later versions. No, it doesn't. But yeah, there we go. All right. Um, flying through today. It's good stuff. Yeah. So Kev, how did you discover Pills, Thrills and Belly X? So for me, the this this album has some of their biggest hits on it. So I was certainly aware of the song, the first song on the album that we are we're definitely going to talk about, and some some of the other ones on on there. I didn't listen to the whole album through until late sort of nineties, ninety-nine, something like that. But um, yeah, it's an album that I've I've known for quite a while. So similar to me, but a, a little bit earlier. Similar to you, I definitely remember Step On coming out in 1990. But I was too young. I was, what, nine then. So I was too young to really get into it and get into the album. So obviously in 95, after the Mondays had split, Sean Ryder was in Black Grape. And they released their debut album, It's Great When You're Straight, yeah, which is a brilliant album. And I was all over that in 95. Then, as I've mentioned on a previous clash, I was getting into the Stone Roses around about 96, 97. And it was at that point, really, that I went back to, to Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches and um, loved it and have done since. Yeah, you know, it, the songs on this album are ones that we have had in our lives for a long time, really. Indeed. And with that, Shall we start talking about one of them? I think we definitely should. Okay, so we open up the album with Kinky Afro. I have quite a lot to say about this song, but I will let you get a word in edgeways. <laughs> I mean, it's an absolute belter to open with. It I mean, is. We, we have talked about album craft. We have talked about starting strong. Fuck me, you start strong. And the opening line, the opening <laughs> line of the song, that, I mean... That that is just it's so wonderfully ballsy. Can you think of a sleazier opening line to a song? I can't. It's it's great. So for people that aren't familiar, the opening lyric is Son, I'm 30. I only went with your mother because she's dirty, and I don't have a decent bone in me. What you get is just what you see. Brilliant. Brilliant. It yeah, it's it's just a such a ballsy way to start a song. It is. And so Paul Ryder. As I said, Sean's brother and the bassist, he basically thinks the song is about the Ryder family. So in that same Guardian article that I mentioned earlier where Oweta was quoted, he said about the song, uh, he said, I think the opening line is about me because I had a kid young. And the line, Dad, you're a shabby. You run around and groove like a baggy. has got to be about our dad. He was on tour with us all the time. Let loose from Manchester, enjoying himself all over the world. So yeah, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could you can see the the there could well easily be some autobiographical or certainly biographical stuff from the mm-hmm. Ryder family there. Yep, definitely. All right, so so some facts. It was the second single from the album, released on the eighth of October, nineteen ninety. It reached number five in the UK, which was their joint highest chart position, along with Step On, which obviously we'll talk about later on. Uh, it was also their biggest hit in the US. Uh, it got to number one 
on the Billboard Alternative Rock chart. Yeah, fair enough. I did. I mean, I didn't really think they had much of a an American presence, to be honest. No, indeed, me neither. But um, there you go. I mean, I think with apologies for generalising any of our American listeners. It's probably the most accessible track to American audiences that's on the album. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. Uh, it was originally called Groovy Afro, uh, but they changed the title because earlier in 1990, the farm had released Groovy Train, which is a banger. And I think like we should all be happy that that change occurred because Kinky Afro is a, it's a great title. It's a great title for a song. It is a great title for a song. Right, but of how the song came to be. So again, this is Paul Ryder. It started off with us just jamming. We'd moved into this massive rehearsal space and our kid turned up with a big fridge full of beer. We got stuck in. I'd been listening to Hot Chocolate's greatest hits, so I played a bass line with a similar feel. Gas came up with a drum beat. At that point, though, it was just one of several unfinished ideas we took to LA to work on with Paul Oakenfold and Steve Osborne. We worked 10-hour shifts getting the music ready for Sean to add the lyrics. On the third day, he arrived with a big bag of opium. Of course he fucking did. (laughs) It turned out he'd already shared it with some of the band, who'd assumed it was cannabis. He suddenly said, you've been smoking opium for two weeks. Our early stuff was recorded on speed, but opium made us much more laid back. I mean, it is a much more (laughs) laid back sound to what they'd previously done. (laughs) I mean, opium is, yeah, you... You're not going to be in a thrash metal band if you're on opium, really. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, as you said, it's a great opener. It's a real balls-out opener. It's got a fantastic groove. The rhythm... I'm going to say this a lot over the course of the next hour or so. Sorry. The rhythm section is fucking phenomenal all across this album, and this song is no exception. Yeah. I mean, it, it's quite right, like, whilst we're saying it, it's good that they change it from Groovy Afro, the, there is a proper groove to this. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a song that just makes you want to get up. It's great. It's so good. Absolutely. And this is one where, for me, Rowetta's vocals through the chorus, they add depth to the yeah. song. They elevate the song. Just one more thing to say, the, the, the main vocal in the chorus, yippee, yippee, yay, 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 is it basically a paraphrase of LaBelle's Lady Marmalade? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Subtle. Didn't pick that up at all. No, <laughs> sounds nothing like it. It's a great start to the album. It is. It's, it's a cracker. Um, and it still sounds fresh. It does still sound fresh. And I think it's a good choice to start the album as well because we've talked about the evolution of the sound and the deliberate choice to lean into the acid house scene this is a nice gateway for the hardcore indie fans if you like into what Mm -hmm. they're trying to do yeah it's it's not like a hard dance track to open you with Mm. or a much hugely different sound but it's it's kind of nudging you through the door of the club yes a very very good way of putting it i've got nothing else to say about kinky afro no, because it's a belter and it's very difficult to, to say anything. More. Exactly. We can't eulogise that long over, over it. You know, we just repeat ourselves, but, but we're good at that anyway. Well, it's, it's not like we ever do that. <laughs> All right. God's cop. It's sarcastically mocking former Greater Manchester Chief Constable James Anderton, who uh, once claimed to have a direct line to God and 
took a, let's say, somewhat hardline conservative stance on many issues, including the hedonism of the the Hacienda scene, uh, as well as making several disgraceful remarks uh, about people suffering with HIV, AIDS, and homosexuals. Yes, an absolutely reprehensible human. Very much so. He he was once featured on the cover of Private Eye. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, he was pejoratively known within Manchester as God's Copper, and within the song sean ryder's basically portraying him as you know as someone who loves to get off his tits just as much as as the band themselves do so when he says because me and the chief got soul to soul me and the chief got slowly stoned i love this song i think the lyrics are really 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 funny but really cutting as well yeah it's got it's got a really good rhythm to it I really like the kind of off kilter guitar in it i think it, it works it works really well throughout it and this is where you start to see Oakenfold um, influence. Definitely. The, you've had an easy intro through Kinky Afro, but we're definitely much more dance orientated here. 100%. So you've got a sort of hip hop style beat. You've got the synthesized string part throughout that main riff. And like you said, the slide guitar, which is a bit sort of jagged, a bit off kilter, just cuts through it. The other thing I've said is think forward 10 years or so, you can really tell where the music got the inspiration for their sound oh yeah <laughs> without question you could pick any track off their debut album and uh i mean i really like that album i think it's phenomenal but uh, yeah yeah they've they've certainly listened to this album <laughs> absolutely right they have um often said that this should have been a single and i can see why it's a really good really funky up-tempo song i like it yeah, and as you say, the I think we I think we need to to give a bit more credit to Sean Ryder's writing here. Yes, he's not someone who is associated with being a great lyricist or anything like that. But it, as you say, the the lyrics are clever, they're witty, and they they, re, they really work. Although, didn't Tony Wilson once compare him to Keats? Yeah, but that's Anthony H. Wilson. <laughs> he like, did talk a lot of shit. Yeah, as you know, Tony Tony Wilson. Couldn't help himself. We'll just put it that way. No, he couldn't. Although I, I do think 24-Hour Party People is a really good film. And my opinion of him was slightly more elevated having seen that film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because like, I will... I grew up in the Northwest, so like until I discovered a bit more about Factory Records. He was just that knobhead off the telly. He's that knobhead off Granada. Yeah. So like I really did like him for a long time. <laughs> and my dad hated him. But is that not just is that not just because of um when Shankly resigned? Well, yeah, that, that's why my dad hated him. Like he was just he was just some man gobshite who was on Granada. <laughs> uh Twitter Twitter clip. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, you're just going to, like, stick the man gobshite bit. Yeah, I am. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I clipped the fucking Essex clip for the for the blur one, so of course I'm going to do them. I'm going to just, like, <laughs> we've now alienated people in the West Country, people in Essex, now Mancunians, so I'm just going to keep going. We need to do a London band, because I'm fine with that. <laughs> fine. Oh, God. Uh, should we move on to Donovan? Yeah, I think we should. All right, so... The chorus for this paraphrases the song Sunshine Superman by the song's namesake, 60s folk artist Donovan. So the lyric is, oh, sunshine shone brightly through my window today. Could have tripped out quite easy, but I decided to stay. 
at the end, Ryder also says a lyric from Come Up and See Me by Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel, where he says, come up and see me, make me smile. This, and again, knowing the Happy Mondays and, and, and Sean Ryder and things we're going to go and talk about a bit later on, this is about waking up in a drug den on a downer, yeah? I mean, it definitely feels like that. It, all my flock has packed up and flocked off back to hell. Open up the window so the place don't start to smell. Hold out your hand, said Whitey with the blame. I'm going to bring you up so you really feel the pain. Take you under my wing so you'll never be the same. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> An experience that I think Sean Ryder certainly, certainly has had. Once again, hold that thought. We will very definitely be talking about that later on. <laughs> this is a weird song. It's, it's in two parts. It starts off with a nice bit of accordion, giving it a very hello, hello feel to things. <laughs> Got a sort of nice bit of bossa nova style beat from the 808 drum machine underneath things. You're thinking, okay, right, fair play. But then after the first chorus, bang, the drums kick in. You get that classic Mark Day guitar riff. I fucking love this tune. I think it's brilliant. So um, my notes, <laughs> it's a bit nothing. Oh, until the guitar break, and then it becomes yeah. fucking great. Exactly, yes. And I want more of, of what happens after the break. Mm. Because everything kicks in, and it's all pumped up to 11, and it's brilliant. Like It is. It's just a bit meh until that happens. It, it kind of passes you by, and then, then the power is switched on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, three songs in, and uh, I've really enjoyed all of them. Yeah, even even this one, which I don't like the first half of it. There's still there's still something good going on. Yeah, exactly. Should we go to Grandbag's funeral? Yeah, I think we should. So this is I talked about Kinky Afro being a gateway for fans of their old stuff. This is really redolent of the stuff, certainly the stuff that was on Bummed. I I I, I didn't think this was particularly inspiring personally. I think the backing tracks a bit. Nothing. I have stronger thoughts on it. Oh, go on. It's a fucking mess. <laughs> Sean Ryder sounds fucking dreadful on it. He's just screaming out the lyrics, isn't he? So try not to reference 24-hour party people all the time. Like, obviously, there's the scene in, in it when I think the Mondays first go into the studio mm-hmm. and they're just fucking about. Yeah. And that's what this sounds like. It's like the song is all over the shop. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And as you say... He's not even singing like Sean Ryder can sing, but he isn't here. He is just shouting, and it's the song is a fucking mess. So if you, I'm sure you're aware of the band um, Fat White Family. Uh-huh. On quite a few of their songs, some are like, some are don't, and it always sounds on the edge of that it's about to all go wrong. It's mm. about to like go into sounding like cymbals falling down a stairs, <laughs> and I've always felt that about the Mondays is the when they get it right, they get it so right. But when yeah. they get it wrong, it's a mess. And that's what this is. I don't feel as strongly about it as you do, but I don't like it. It's on the wrong album. Yeah. It doesn't fit. Yeah. He sounds fucked out of his mind, Sean Ryder, on this. I don't have anything else to say about it. I'm not particularly keen. No. Um, and obviously, I'm not a fan. No. All right. I am a fan of the next track. Oh, boy. Yeah. Loose Fit. So, the third and final single released on the album on the 9th of March, 1991. It reached number 17 in the UK. 
And it's basically an homage to the baggy clothing that exemplified the look of the Manchester Acid House scene. Although it has been suggested, and I think erroneously, but it has been suggested that the opening lyrics and the song title itself are a rejection of prophylactics, (laughs) basically. (laughs) Small or big, take your pick. Doesn't have to be legit. It's got to be a loose fit. Don't need no skin tights in my wardrobe today. Fold them all up and put them all away. I think this is one of those occasions where people are reading a little bit too much into things, personally. Yeah, I I never got that vibe from it, I have to say. You can you can see why there's that thought process because uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I think it's a bit. I, th- of a I think stretch. it's a, yeah. I was about, like that's what I was about to say is that I think you can see it, but I don't necessarily agree with it because there's nothing else in the song that no suggests that, that that's what it's about. It's a song about wearing baggy jeans, <laughs> just and there's a, there's another lyric later on. Gonna buy an Air Force base. Gonna wipe out your race. Get stoned in a different place. Don't you know I got better taste? That's a reference to the fact that um, a lot of raves were held in aircraft hangars. Mm-hmm. So it's about the scene. It's about yeah. celebrating the scene. And it's a fucking rammer. I mean, it's a great opening riff. That's it, it, what I've said. It just earworms its way into your head, that guitar riff, doesn't it? And Rowetta's uh, backing vocals on it just elevates its, you know, it's... Yeah. It's a great. It's it's a really good song. I've always liked Loose Fit. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it's another one where the rhythm section, the bass line is simple but fucking. It's just funky as fuck. And that incessant groove from the bongos and the drums. It's big, big fan of Loose Fit. Yeah, it's as you say, and I think you. I think it's right to rhapsodize about the rhythm section here. That they they absolutely come together and drive this song forward. Yeah, they do. They do. Kev, we are flying through this, you know. I know. This is this is very unlike us. I mean, I don't have anything else to say because I really like the songs. Yeah, it's it, it's really good. You know, let's go on to Dennis and Lois then. Yeah, let's go on to Dennis and Lois. So this is a tribute to Dennis Anderson and Lois Callert, a legendary superfan couple who took the band under their wing and gave them a tour of New York City whilst they were in America through the the recording and production of the album. According to Sean Ryder, he said, they bought the weed, they bought the good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he was going to, like, be happy about that. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So in 2019, and I've seen the trailer for it, but I haven't seen the film itself, a documentary was made uh, about Dennis and Lois. It was debuted, it premiered at the Manchester Film Festival, and... um, I've seen the trailer and I really want to see the film because it looks really good. Well, we'll have to, um, if we re- if we remember to, we'll have to tweet out a link to the film. Yes, definitely. I believe at the time of recording in the UK, you can rent it on Amazon Prime, but I'll tweet a link out to the trailer anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's the song title. I mm-hmm. assume that the song was named sometime after it was written because the lyrics mean fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've we've praised his um, cutting lyrics earlier. There's not a huge amount of substance to this. None at all. We all learned to box at the Midget Club where we punched with love and did someone some good. What? (laughs) (laughs) 
it's a good tune though. I mean, you can hear Oakenfold's influence in the beat and the keyboards. It's got it's got a really good groove to it, and it I has. think it works it works really well after Loose Fit as well in terms of the album. A bit more up tempo, and yeah, it, it works well. It does. So I there's a nice sort of synth part throughout, which sounds very Stevie Wonder to me, and that adds to the groove. So I, I'll I'll freely admit I didn't pick up a Stevie Wonder vibe. It, from... it, it's a similar sound to the the main riff of Superstition. Okay. So it's a very obvious comparison that I'm drawing, mm-hmm. but it adds to the funky sound of the song. No, fair, you know, fair, fair enough. I didn't I didn't pick that that up myself, but yeah, the you know I've I've, I've highlighted the keys as something that really gets the groove going. So yeah. you know, also some great use of flange effects in the mid eight to give it a bit of a psychedelic feel. <laughs> I'll grow up just because I said flange. Do you know what? For that, I'm going to explain to you what flange is in engineering terms. This is it. This is going to be a highlight for the listeners. This is definitely going on fucking Twitter, and it's your fault. So, flange away. You have two copies of the same signal, right? You play them very, very slightly out of phase, fractions of a second. On one of them, you alter the phase. So sometimes it's before the main one, sometimes it's after the main one. That creates the sound of flanging. Fuck you, your fault. Listeners, abuse Kev on Twitter, not me. Hashtag flange life. (laughs) Uh, It's a good effect. (laughs) Move on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Bob's your uncle. I need your hand. <laughs> Sorry, um, for our American uh, listeners, or, well, non-UK listeners, that is a British phrase. Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. Indeed. We talked about the sleazy opening to the album with Kinky Afro. I mean, this takes it up to 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote it in my, in my notes. Not the most subtle song ever recorded. No. And in an interview with the NME in 2019, Sean Ryder said in typically blunt terms, and I apologise, listeners, for the language I'm about to use, it's our version of a Balearic love song where we're talking about fucking chicks up the arse and everything else. (laughs) I mean, yeah, there is no subtlety to it. Can I take you from behind and hold you in my arms? Yes. there There is no pretext. There is no disguising his intentions it is basically i want to do you up the wrong one. <laughs> so a couple of serious points i'm going to make now firstly i think rowetta's sultry backing vocals again elevate this song yeah. perhaps to a point above where it deserves to be if i'm honest i i think that's that is such a great point that her backing is is great and it does because without that I mean, it's a sleazy owl song anyway, but it at least gives it something. Yeah. Uh, hello. If you don't have that, then it's Sean Ryder being a dirty owl perv. And on that, a perfect segue to my next point. The way he sings the lyrics with that really deep, low, breathy voice, that is a call forward to what Jarvis Cocker was doing on his and hers and certainly on different class. Now, I think Jarvis Cocker does it much better and much more effectively but it's in the same vein. I mean, like there's some some songs on, particularly on different class, where he sounds like Jarvis sounds like an absolute sex criminal. Well, and this is hardcore. The song, this well, is yeah. hardcore. <laughs> Big fans of Pulpers too. Yeah, we are huge fans and we, we will definitely cover Pulp at some point. Yeah. So 
I can see where Ryder's coming from when he says it, it's their version of a Balearic love song. There's a definite Spanish feel to it with the acoustic guitars. I really like the sort of fluty part. Uh, yeah, I, I put that. I put that that I really like the flute brass section. I thought. Yeah. I thought it was again. It it gave it gave the song a bit more class than it deserves. Exactly. And again, you've got some great bongos, which I, I'm never going to complain about. Exactly. Yeah. We all love bongos. Gotta love a bongo. It's filthy, but I like it. Yeah, it, it's not a song that I would rush to listen to, but no. it's it's good, you know. And like, there's a lot going for it. My main criticism of it is that I think it just goes on a bit too long. I think you could have wrapped it up. But I, you know, I like a two-minute garage song, so, you know, I'm probably not the right person. House! Like of the course bingo it, thing. Yes. <laughs> I, th- I thought you just got, like, ticking off um, pod bingo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying, yeah. House. Yeah. So I've I've yet again um, referenced uh, garage bands. <laughs> Oi, all right. I think we might spend a few minutes talking about the next track. I think so, yeah. Step On. The first single from the album it was released on 7th of April 1990. It reached number five in the UK. It reached number 57 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. It's been certified gold. In this country, it is a cover of the song He's Gonna Step On You Again by John Congos. Uh, which reached number four in May of 1971. And the Monday's version has a very short uh, three-note guitar sample from the original. The iconic lyric, opening lyric, in fact, You're Twisting My Melon Man, um, which is not from the original, uh, that became the title of Sean Ryder's autobiography in 2011. Fucking hell! What can you say about Step On? So it it seems it seems mad that what became their signature song wasn't even their song; it was a cover. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, you can certainly say that in terms of songs that trump the original, oh, yes. this is this is definitely one of them. It's an absolute belter. Rowetta yes. is fucking amazing. She on this is song. absolutely in the breakdown where it's just the drums and her yeah. and her vocals. It's fucking phenomenal, as you said. This has got Oakenfold and Osborne all over it, and a three or four note piano riff is definitive of an entire era. That's how iconic this song is. Yeah, the whole Manchester scene. Yeah. This this song defined Manchester. Yes. Until rock and roll star, and arguably beyond. Yeah. It's a magnificent piece of music, and. So we've said Rowetta, we've said Oakenfold. Once again, the drums and the bass are are phenomenal. The guitar is brilliant. I want to give Sean Ryder some praise in this. He didn't write the lyrics, no, but I think the way he sings the lyrics, he just oozes all over this track. Uh, We criticised him on Grand Bag's funeral. We said it sounded very sleazy on Bob's Your Uncle, but fucking hell, it's perfectly pitched for me, his vocals on this. It's such a charismatic performance. Brilliant way of putting it. He 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 pulls you in from the start, and mm-hmm. like everything everything about this song. If you think of the Mondays, you think of this song. You think of Bez with the maracas. Yeah. You think of of Sean Ryder singing. This is their signature. Yes, it is. Can we talk about Boddingtons, please? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we can if you want. So Boddingtons. 
famous beer of Manchester. And in 2005, Stepan was used in a Boddington's advert. Its use in that advert drew quite a lot of controversy. Do you remember why? No, not at all. It came less than six months after the owner of Boddington's InBev had closed the Strangeways Brewery. Of course. Citing a lack, a, a lack of profitability. So that drew a lot of criticism. So much so that InBev basically had to try and defend their position, saying, well, it's still brewed in the northwest of England. And the Transport and General Workers Union came out and said, InBev pulled out of production in Manchester with no regard for the heritage of the brand's success within the city. The company is having its cake and eating it. Yeah. Like, I, do you know what? I completely... Because I went to the, um, to the first warehouse project and it was at the body site. And the thing is, with Boddington's adverts for so long, they'd they'd, play, they'd played on on being Manchester. Exactly. They had, um, Melanie Sykes. Yeah, and very prominently had like a mank accent. Yeah. In it. Yeah, there was that one. There was the one where it was like the guy on a punt, as if he's in Venice, but then he pulls out. It's just the the canal through through yeah. uh, Salford. So, and that was at the time when the beer was being brewed in Manchester. Pulled out of Manchester. Less than six months later, is of it is a ad with step on, not the best choice. No, slightly toned up. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but fucking hell, what a song! Yeah, it's it's great. As you said, it's it's the cover version that betters its original, and there are very very few of those. This is the one. Yeah, I mean, as as you say, there are there are few that trump the original. This is this is a- I fought the law, maybe. I mean, there are a few. So, um, so um, proud Mary, certainly. Yeah, all right. You've got, you've got the, you've proud Mary, definitely. So much so that I didn't realise that it was a credence song for many years. Yeah, neither, neither did I. And and then it's like, fuck me. <laughs> yeah, you nailed that. Yep, absolutely. Step on good things. Yes. As I said, I remember I've. Vividly remember this being out in, in 1990. It was the summer of 1990. It was all over the place. Life was good for nine-year-old Tim. Yeah, it was it was huge. And I had a lovely time hearing this on the on the radio. Yep, indeed. So should we stop waxing lyrical about Step On and go on to holiday? I think we should. It's basically a song about Sean Ryder returning from holiday and having his bag searched for drugs at the airport. Hold it there, boy. Is that your bag? In a small sneak and you've just been had. I'm here to gra- harass you. I want your pills and your grass, you. What do you think of Holiday? I mean, for, so firstly, I will say in terms of the, the lyrical content, if I'm working for British Customs, I'm searching Sean Ryder's bag. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, that that's just happening. I mean, there's, a, there's an argument to say that if you're working for the Foreign Office, you're taking Sean Ryder's fucking passport off him. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of the song, so put, I wrote down here, it feels a bit like Mondays by Numbers. It doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing with a mouthful of beer then. Uh, a gr- Monday by Numbers, brilliant. I've said... This song doesn't offer me anything that I haven't already heard on the album and it doesn't do it as well. I don't dislike it. I, I, it's got quite a good groove. It's got quite a good rhythm section, but especially coming after Step On, I could very easily take or leave this. 
it feels like an album track. Yeah, it feels like an album track. And then we race on. We race on to the final track, Harmony, which, again, there's quite a few vocal excerpts taken from other songs. I mm-hmm. uh, wonder when Noel Gallagher got his inspiration from. Anyway, sorry, random thought. <laughs> goes. <laughs> uh, so from the New Seekers, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I love this. You can still hear Oakenfold. You can still hear what they're going for, but this is all about the guitar. This is all about the psychedelic sound. To me, this is a call forward to another album I love, Ladies and Gentlemen, Floating in Space. I can definitely see see why you've made that comparison there. I, I really like the way it slowly builds in. Mm-hmm. For me, it could get there a little sooner, but you know. Nah, I, 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 I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a statement here. We've talked about end big. We talked about end epic. I think album closers should be off the table when it comes to you complaining about their length. <laughs> I don't like. I'm. I just like. I'm not complaining about the length of the song. I think you literally just did. But okay. No, no, no. I wasn't complaining about the length of the song. I was complaining. I was saying the the slow the slow building. I, I could do with the build a little earlier. Is all I'm saying. I'm, I don't have a problem with the with the length of the song. It's just I would like the build a little earlier. That's all. okay. Okay. This also puts me in mind of uh, Weekender by Flowered Up, which is a fucking belter and a massively long song as well. I love Weekender. I love the way this just stops as well. There's no end. It's just, right, done. Press stop on the recorder. We're done. <laughs> I mean, you you kind of lose yourself in it. And that's, that, that is the beauty of it. And it, it is a really nice way to end the album. I agree. It, it, I've said it's a perfect encapsulation of what the album has brought us to this point. It manages to be simultaneously euphoric and laid back. I, I love it. I mean, um, we certainly, certainly will cover this next week. I suppose what you can, what you can say about this album is that certainly elements... And the way it's been put together is very thought of the of their drug of choice at this time. Oh yes, and this kind of mellow ending, this nice soft come down after yes. you after your high. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And as you said, we'll be talking in very similar terms this time next week. <laughs> oh yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, li- I like the song. And in a shot, we are at the end of the album. I know we've absolutely flown through that. Looking forward to this week's edit. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we go on to reviews? I think we should. Okay. So, Stuart McConey, of whom I'm a big fan, by the way, in The Enemy, he said at the time, this is a tremendous record and a gauntlet chucked at the feet of the other would-be legends in town. An indescribably exciting mongrel that has suddenly become the trendiest music in the world. Brilliantly put, Stuart, as always. Yeah, I love Stuart McConey's writing, and that, that's yeah. a wondrous way to, to describe it. It is indeed. Not all reviews were positive. So in Entertainment Weekly, Bob Mack, return of this lad, <laughs> uh, he wrote that the album is suspiciously short on thrills, while Stepon and Donovan show some promise, they're hardly strong enough to be compared with the Rolling Stones. I mean, I wasn't aware that anyone had ever compared the Mondays to the Rolling Stones, but, you know, no. you do you, Bob. Well, firstly, 
Entertainment Weekly <laughs> have reviewed the Happy Mondays, which is fucking wild. Um, th- like this is not a band that you would compare with the Stones. Now, the band that we that we <laughs> be talking about next week, yes, I can understand that. <laughs> yep, indeed. Strong disagree there, Bob Soz. Okay, last one I'm going to read before we get to him. <laughs> uh, so in a retrospective for all music, Stephen Thomas Erwine, who I will come back to again next week, actually, he said that the album was the apex of their career and quite possibly the whole baggy Manchester movement. Pills, thrills and belly aches pulsates with a garish neon energy, a celebratory collage of sex and drugs, where there's no despair because only a sucker could think that this party would ever come to an end. I mean, hold that thought, fella, because I agree with 90% of what you said there, but that last sentence, it came to a very spectacular end pretty quickly. Yeah, he largely nails it, but failed with the landing. Like, if we were talking, it was um, it was an Olympic dive. He's got a big splash when he's gone in the water. He's, he's, over, he's overstretched his legs. <laughs> <laughs> all right come on uh, so what i will say is when it comes to nobby mcgee both this week and next week it's mercifully short but probably still talking out of his ass so robert Criscar gave notable mentions to kinky afro fair enough and grand bag's funeral <laughs> i mean of course he's picked the two most guitar heavy tracks on the album but you know <laughs> Because it's him. Uh, yes. Uh, and the, the only thing he said is their voidoids is better than their dance music. You are not a punk. <sighs> and he's fucking wrong anyway, because, well. Uh, so that refers to a 70s punk band from New yes. York, basically. Yeah. <sighs> that's all I've got to say about Robert Criscard this week. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on from the prick. Legacy. Now, I do have a lot to say about the legacy. A legacy which includes a discussion on UK law as well, actually. Okay. If you'll permit me. All right. To to go back to what what Stephen Thomas Irwin said in All Music, it was undoubtedly the apex of their career. And for me, it was also the high point for the, the Manchester and Acid House scene. And so in terms of with that scene, before we come on to the Mondays themselves, in terms of that scene, in 1990, the Entertainment uh, Increased Penalties Act was passed, which allowed for fines of up to £20,000 for hosting illegal raves. Now, that didn't stop determined and resourceful revelers with uh, illegal raves continuing to be held throughout the country. Organisers often broadcasting details of events via pirate radio or setting up telephone numbers with voicemail messages that you could get details of events from. Things came to a head spectacularly in May of 1992 in what was intended to be a small free festival for New Age travellers. Remember when they were like the biggest fear known to man, by the way? Yeah, the crusties. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So that small free festival turned into the largest illegal rave in the history of the UK, where 20,000 people descended on Castle Morton Common in Worcestershire. Fun fact, kids, I can see Castle Morton Common literally from the chair I am sitting in now. <laughs> I look to my left and I can see Castle Morton Common. <laughs> Is there 20,000 people having it large there? No. 
Damn. No. There's, there's a few sheep. <laughs> um, in the aftermath of that, in 1994, the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act was passed, which we've mentioned before, in fact, on, on yeah. Clash. That made it an offence for gatherings of more than 100 people to listen to music at night without a licence. And the law even went as far as defining the types of music that were being targeted, specifically music including wholly or repetitive beats played time and again. Surely that could describe virtually anything. <laughs> yeah. Starters. Well, it, well, it depends what you describe as a beat, because like a Kaylee band mm-hmm. has a repetitive beat, you know, so <laughs> it speaks to the moral panic that was going on in this country around rave culture, ecstasy. I mean, this is all linked in with the highly prominent cases of teenagers dying after overdose and so on. Leah Betts' death comes to mind as well. This is all sort of part of the the backlash against this culture. And in fact, the UK's first recorded death from ecstasy in a nightclub was at the Hacienda in 1989. Right. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, But anyway... That's the law, and I believe that's that law is still unaltered today. Yes, which is you know why a lot of like clubs and uh, bars that have music in the centre of cities are starting to be shut down because the provisions under the Criminal Justice Act mean that if the sound causes nuisance and annoyance to people, then they can have their license removed, and that's unfortunately is decimating live music venues in cities. Yeah, indeed. So without wanting to go down too much of a hole there, shall we get back to the band themselves? And, uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right, okay, so so the serious. Well, it's all serious, really. So following the success of the album, both Paul and Sean Ryder became addicted to heroin. So much so that in an attempt to get them off it and also to try and save the flagging fortunes of factory records, Tony Wilson sent the band to record the follow-up album at Eddie Grant's studio in Barbados, thinking that there's no heroin in Barbados. Quite right, Tony. There is no heroin in Barbados. What he didn't realise is, do you know what there was an awful lot of in Barbados, Kev? I'm going to guess not um, cannabis. I'm going to go with cocaine because it's relatively close to Colombia. Crack. Right. Lots and lots and lots of crack. So, yeah, yeah, the studio was basically turned into a crack den to the extent that Sean Ryder and Paul Ryder were literally selling the furniture out of the studio to pay for crack. And they were using the sunbeds to turn into a literal crack den. (laughs) Sean Ryder was, according to himself, smoking 30 rocks of crack a day for six weeks. That's not going to help with producing an album. No, 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 it's not. So, yeah, not good. One can look upon things humorously, but... It was a poorly thought through move. Let's just say Mm -hmm. that. The album itself, Yes, Please, was both a critical and commercial failure. I mean, there's several reasons for that. It wasn't great, but by the time it came out in 1992, the world had moved on. Nirvana were on the scene by then, so the attentions had turned to Seattle 
basically Nirvana, mm-hmm. Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And people didn't want to hear another Acid House influenced indie album. No, and like the the Roses had stopped being able to tour by this point. Mm-hmm. The dance music culture had kind of moved in a different direction. So when the album came out, they were they were yesterday's men, really. Yes, exactly that. Yesterday's men. Um, as I alluded to right at the start of the show, the upshot of that was it bankrupted Functory Records. The Happy Mondays themselves split up. Sean Ryder with Bez went on to form Black Grape. Their debut album in 1995, it's great when you're straight, yeah, was certified platinum. I think it's a fucking brilliant album. I love it. It's a great, it's got some absolute corkers on it as well. It, it does indeed. Uh, the follow-up in 1998, Stupid, 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 was certified gold. Wasn't very good, though. The Mondays themselves have reformed numerous times since 1999 for various anniversary and reunion tours. They even released the fifth album, Uncle Dysfunctional, in 2007. It was bad. Never even heard it. Don't. I mean, what I'd say is that both Sean Ryder and Paul Ryder have since cleaned themselves up. They're both sober now. I still think it's quite disarming to hear a sober Sean Ryder talk because he's almost eloquent. <laughs> what what you definitely have to say is that of people within the music business um, who have managed to come out the other side of addiction, I don't think any of us expected Sean Ryder to be one of them. No. No, nor Iggy <laughs> to be <Indeed>. that <laughs> so yeah just finally on legacy as for Paul Oakenfold and Steve Osborne as I said they, they would and Oakenfold in particular go on to be a figurehead of the superstar DJ super club scene in, in, in the, at the end of the decade off the immediate back of the success of Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches by the end of 1991 Oakenfold and Osborne were doing remixes for U2 which were being released by themselves and were charting, and that further cemented their reputation. Some fucking phenomenal remixes, by the way, even better than the real thing. And the Mysterious Ways one in particular, brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, basically, they they went from strength to strength. And as I said, defined the club scene for the next 10 years plus. Um, That's about all I have to say about Legacy, Kev. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think there's anything really more to add. I mean, obviously, Sean Ryder has become kind of a and Bez as well, for that matter. Amazingly, have become kind of institutions, if you like, um, national treasures. Yeah. I mean, who'd have thought Sean Ryder would have become become that within British culture? But you stay you stay around for long enough. Well, that's a very good point. You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. <laughs> I'm ready to go best song, worst song, are you? Yeah, I, I am, yeah. Okay, off you go. So my worst song, I don't think it's going to come as a galloping surprise. It's Grandbag's Funeral. It's a fucking mess. It's shite. Fair enough. Um, Best song is a toughie. I think I'm going to come down on step on, but like it's by a Nat Widget from uh, Kinky Afro. Okay, uh, so sadly for the concept of debate, there is going to be none today. <laughs> Grandbag's Funeral, whilst I don't feel as strongly about it as you, it's on the wrong album and um, is out of place. So, yeah, that's that's definitely the weakest. And as much as I hate to make the obvious choice, Step On is the best song on the album. Yes, you're right. Kinky Afro and, for me, Loose Fit are really, really close to being the best song, but they aren't. It is Step On. 
Stepon, as we said, defines the entire era. And for that reason, it has to be the best song on the album. It's a glorious piece of music. Yeah, as as we said earlier, you think of the Mondays, you think of that song. Exactly that. All right, Kev, I think we're done. I think we are. Okay, well, so next week you are going to take us through Screamadelica. But before that, go on. So um, we've recently had the Tokyo Olympics, and if you were a Twitter user, you you may have seen people who probably can't do a sit-up criticising athletes for coming fourth or fifth in, in the world in a fucking event. <laughs> if you are on Twitter, you may also want to check us out on our Twitter where there is some fine content at Clash Album. If you're a fan of quality content, then you can go to our Insta, um, which is carefully curated by previous guest Sam, which is, and you can find that at Clash Album. Or if you're resolutely old school and you wish to send an electronic mail, you can find us at albumclash at gmail.com. Boom. There you go. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the people of Twitter never fail to amaze me in just how judgmental they can be about absolutely anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is one of the joys of mine that every four years, I briefly become an expert in a sport that I never watch because... I've watched a little bit of it and I've decided that because someone's done a little hop after legging it, doing a spin in the air or after going on a pommel horse, that like I definitely know that they're going to lose points for that because I'm an expert on this. I was all about the volleyball this time. Really? Fucking phenomenal. It's a great sport. I do like I do like the volleyball, but um I always like the gymnastics. Like because I always uh, as I say, I become this temporary expert in it. It's like, there's a hop that all missed the landing, lose points. Yeah, great stuff. The Olympics is good. Yes. Uh, and by the time this goes out, I think even the Paralympics will be finished. But um, we're speaking to you guys from the past and we've still got that to look forward to. So uh, we win. And the Paralympics will be great because there'll yes. be loads of loads of dead good stuff going on. Yes, exactly. Okay, um, enough sports talk. People don't come to this podcast to listen to us talk about sport. I mean, they probably don't come to it to listen to us talk about music either, but there you go, that's their problem, not ours. They come here for our resolutely strong font <laughs> chat. <laughs> Which we've not had for a while. No, I know. <laughs> All right, enough of this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for getting involved. It means a hell of a lot to us. Hope you're still enjoying it. Hope you've enjoyed today. Make sure you listen to Screamadelica ahead of next week. Until then, I've been Tim. I've been Kev. Um, take care. We'll see you next time. Ta-da. Ta-da.